0: Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermouth, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is part two of a two-parter. Last episode, um, a thing called science, we talked about what science is. In very sort of broad, general terms, um, you know, defining this thing called science and what it what it means, how it works, and uh, and how it's changed what uh, we are as a species and a civilization.
0: Yeah, we've gotten a couple of requests for doing a podcast on the scientific method, and we will be tackling some of these big topics. And it, it really was important to us to talk about the scientific method as it is a core concept uh, of all science.
1: Yeah, like scientific method, as uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, it's basically how science advances, how it moves, how it claims new ter- territory like a, like an advancing army, you know? Um, how it uh you know, how it to quote you know Carl Sagan, how it uh you know brings light into a demon-haunted world, you know? So uh, so what's the history on scientific method, right? When did it come out come about?
0: Looks like it came out uh as far back as the fourth century BC. Yeah.
1: Though they didn't call it scientific method, and it's it can't really be attributed to like one person, but uh but some of the like the ideas involved in it started emerging pretty early on.
0: Yeah, you got a guy, uh, you you guys might have heard of him, named Aristotle, who proposed methods to answer questions about the world through rigorous observation.
1: Yeah, and that was way back in the 4th century B.C.
0: Much later, Albertus Magnus comes along, and he borrowed some principles from Muslim scientists, and he described this repeating cycle of observation, hypothesis, experimentation, and verification.
1: Did you know that Albertus Magnus supposedly had an android?
0: I'm sorry, what?
1: An android? No. Yeah. It's like look it up it's pretty crazy like it was probably not an actual robot just to go ahead and get that out there but um but he had like some sort of, if i remember this correctly he had some sort of like uh mannequin that maybe had some sort of mechanical I'm sure it wasn't a it. golem I think those those charges may have been cuz a lot of these older guys like our next guy Francis Bacon included you know they were curious about a lot of things and sometimes that curiosity took them into you know exploring um, um less scientific and more magical Uh, ideas, you know, because that was, like I say, you didn't have as clearly defined a science back then. So it would sort of bleed into other areas. Um, but but yeah, he supposedly had an android Francis Bacon. I don't, I don't think he did, but, uh,
0: and he's important. We bring him up because he was really the first to formalize the concept of a true scientific method. mm -hmm. And he, of course, as standing on the shoulders of giants, as these scientists tend to do, Uh uh, was basing his method on the work of Nicholas Copernicus
1: and, uh, Galileo.
0: Yeah. yeah. Then along comes Mr. Newton, Sir yeah. Newton to us. And his laws really ruled the world of science for centuries. And he marked the beginning of the scientific age.
1: And don't we have a we have a really good article on uh, Isaac Newton on the site, don't we We
0: do? And I have an outstanding request to do a blog post on
1: Oh, yes, about his, um, his involvement in alchemy. Am I remembering this right, or is uh, it something else? It's more
0: no, it's Arianism. Oh, okay. Newton and Arianism. So I will get to that at some point. I promise.
1: Cool. So yeah, uh, Newton though was pretty much the yeah the beginning of the the, the you know our scientific age. Um, and uh, you know he brought about uh, you know the beginning methods to um, that attempt to minimize the influence of bias and prejudice in the experimenter, and uh, you know, and uh, scientific method also. Um, provides an objective, standardized approach to conducting experiments.
0: And it's also about getting cred, right?
1: You yeah. know, it's,
0: good, but it's about getting cred not only with other scientists, but with the public. Yeah. With, you know, the people who are going to be um, exposed to your work. And how do they know um, that you're conducting your work in a controlled and rigorous fashion?
1: Yeah. And uh, you made a good point when we were preparing for this about uh, nobody's perfect when it comes to experimentation. Uh, in, in carrying out the scientific method like there's no like we've named some pretty you know stellar names you know um you know be it aristotle or galileo or, or newton but nobody's like free of criticism uh you know even like modern dudes like uh like hawking you know it's like people people will and do take hawking to task on things that they think doesn't hold up to scientific scrutiny and that's that's how science works like nothing is set in stone
0: Right. So you have to be open to colleagues' um, feedback, constructive criticism, although Mm -hmm. sometimes it can get a little gnarly. Um Yeah. You know, you can have some, like the Bone Wars. Do you remember that when we were talking oh, about yeah, dinosaurs? Yeah. These respected scholars, uh, paleontologists, and all of a sudden they're battling over dinosaur bones. And yeah. oh, I publish first. No, you publish first. And never having been in the in a career where I need to publish to get ahead, I imagine it does get very heated. And the pressure's on to publish, to get funding, all the stuff, to be the one who's in nature first or whatever mm-hmm. uh, publication you're aiming for. But getting back to your point... <laughs>
1: Highlights was a good magazine. Was, they had the, the the page where you'd find the hidden objects in the painting.
0: <laughs> I did. I used to read that in the doctor's yeah. office. Um, no, but getting back to your point, uh, there are two major forms of bias that creep into experiments, and we should mention them. Uh, selection bias, and that's really – that occurs if the participants you select, for example, um, for an experiment aren't representative of a particular population. So selection bias. Say you're interested in whether people watch more TV at night, but you only go to a house, uh, or you only go to a neighborhood that's 55 and older. So right.
1: yeah, that's not a a good like cross section of the population you're looking to uh, to study.
0: Yeah, because yeah. maybe you're looking to um, look at TV habit, TV watching habits in a uh, population from. 30 and above, right? right? So you're, if you're only hitting the 55 and older community, you're probably not going to get that, uh, greater results. Not going to have an informed, uh, informed data. So you also can have observer bias. An example of this might be that, um, a participant in an experiment couldn't remember correctly what, uh, his exposure to a particular variable was. So let's say you're interested in the question of, um, influenza among, um, a particular Population of people, mm-hmm. and, um, your participant can't remember the number of times he hung out with runny nose nursery school kids. However, you choose to word that in your experiment.
1: Well, cool. Well, let's, um.
0: So those are two examples of yeah. bias.
1: Well, cool. Well, let's, uh, I guess it's time to actually begin the process, begin the scientific method.
0: Let's do it, Robert.
1: All right. So the first step is pretty, pretty basic, doesn't require a lot of explanation. Make an observation. <laughs> and you know, I think we well, encounter this every day. You know, like maybe you're on Marta or something. Uh, Marta is our public transportation train system here in Atlanta and, and you uh you look across the aisle and you go, I wonder like what why that lady is eating an entire rotisserie chicken on the, the train. It's an observation. And it <laughs> I raises questions.
0: Think of the rotisserie chicken lady.
1: It was weird. It was it was kinda gross. That, w- uh,
0: that would be definitely g- gross.
1: Yeah. Now that one would, would be harder to more more scientific would be like uh you know, uh, like Charles Darwin observing, uh, you know, different uh, species of finches uh, uh, on the Galapagos Islands, and and asking himself, uh, you know, huh, what's going on here? Why, uh, why all this similarity? You know, or you know, the things of that nature are, are definitely more in the scientific realm. Why is something the way it is? And and that's that's the the beginning.
0: Okay, but let's just get back to the rich history chicken. There's no reason <laughs> why you couldn't. Um, come up with some sort of interesting experiment based around that.
1: Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. Like the in the the situation would be like, why would is, does this lady find it necessary to eat a rotisserie chicken with her fingers on the train and then touch the pole?
0: There's all sorts. Of, <laughs> there's all sorts of interesting stuff to be explored. There. Right? It doesn't have to be about finches or about you know particle accelerators. The the very questions that you know, surround us in our normal lives, I think are worthy of investigation. And I think it's just really worth emphasizing because science does not have to be about these, um, super unapproachable intellectual topics.
1: Right. Like, um, the, the Ig Nobel prizes, uh, the, um, the improbable research publication, they constantly cover peer reviewed scientific, um, you know, papers that deal with kind of ludicrous sounding, uh, you know, questions, but, but nothing's, you know, like you say, nothing is really out of bounds for science, you know, questions of, uh like, what was one of the more ridiculous ones that I can actually mention in the podcast? Because the only ones coming to mind are the...
0: The ones that we probably the, should. The risque ones. Um, I think there was something that's... um There was a charcoal filter. A man who invented a, a charcoal filter so that when he um was feeling gaseous, uh-huh. there was... I, I, that wasn't really an experiment. That was more of an invention, I suppose.
1: Yeah. But...
0: That's but, the only one I can yeah, think of. Yeah, but, but the still, the things of
1: that nature. Uh, I mean, there are some scientific experiments I know for a fact, uh, like dealing with NASA, that have to do with like how gassy people are, because that's an issue if you're going into space.
0: Indeed. Right. So bad breath.
1: So yeah, just about yeah anything, <laughs> no matter how ridiculous or seemingly you know insin- insin- insignificant, uh, science can and often does analyze it. So we have a, a pretty insignificant sounding example, just a very hypothetical situation here around the office, right?
0: All right. Yeah. So Robert and I put together a little hypothetical experiment. And here's our experiment. We, uh, we're going to make an observation. And here's the deal. Robert. Yeah. You are a big fan of pudding pops. Okay. For for the purposes of this. For the purposes of this. Yeah. So you're going to be bringing a stash of pudding pops to work. Okay. You're going to put them in the freezer. Gotcha. Don't put them in the fridge. Like I put my ice cream cake for my 16th birthday in the fridge and it melted and that was really sad. Oh man. Why'd
1: you bring that to work now? It's probably just as well. You shouldn't eat it.
0: No, back when I was turning 60. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you've been bringing these pudding pops to work. You stash them in the freezer. Two Mm -hmm. o'clock rolls around. You're really getting that, you know, urge for a pudding pop, which I guess grips some of us.
1: Yeah. Well, 2 p.m. That's a good time for it. Sugar, you know, need some sugar to keep going.
0: Yeah. So you've been noticing that the pudding pops are disappearing. Hmm. They're disappearing faster than you've been eating them. At least this is your thought okay right. it's not like you're the kind of guy who you know marks his food in the freezer and ticks one off when you take one out of the box so you've, you've kind of observed
1: okay we've observed and this leads right into the next uh, step in the scientific method and that is ask a question
0: yeah we got to narrow our focus of inquiry right. we got to identify the problem you got to get specific
1: right so the observation we made was that Something is happening to these pudding pops. They're vanishing.
0: Am I the only one thinking of Bill Cosby right now?
1: Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, uh, the the question that immediately arises is, hey, what's happening to these pudding pops?
0: Is someone throwing them away? Yeah.
1: Are they like they're are they atomizing and just you know are they slipping into another dimension?
0: And maybe the box is upside down and they're they're falling out of the box and on the way s-
1: to work, and then I'm putting an empty box in to the fr- freezer. See, these are all these are all interesting possibilities. Or
0: maybe just maybe somebody is eating your pudding pops. Ah, and it's not you.
1: Well, that leads to step three, right? Form a hypothesis. So there are all these possibilities. Now, the the possibility that a a like a tiny black hole is opening up in the House Stuff Works freezer and consuming pudding pops, well, I don't think that's very likely. Just it's. It Maybe it's possible, but it's extremely unlikely. Likewise, I feel like I'm pretty aware of my, you know, surroundings when I'm bringing things to work. They're probably not falling out of, falling out of that box. Okay. So I'm going to go with the hypothesis. Somebody's stealing my pudding pops.
0: <laughs> well, if they're vanilla flavored, nobody's stealing them. Chocolate, I might grant you that. So, um... Right. So now, now we have this question and let's, let's formulate it correctly so that we can find an answer. Okay. And that's really the next step that we have going on here. We're going to suggest a possible answer in the form of a hypothesis. And a hypothesis is often defined as an educated guess. Okay. Because we sort of have this idea that yes, maybe somebody is taking the, the pudding pops. Black holes, not really, not really likely. Some of the other options, not so likely. So this is a somewhat of an informed guess.
1: It's generally in the form of like, if X, then Y, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And another important thing about the hypothesis is that you're going to have to define all the terms in there, right? So um, if our hypothesis is, um, let's see, if we leave a box of pudding pops in the fridge for a week, then Josh Clark from Stuff You Should Know will steal a pudding pop a day in the afternoon, excepting weekends. Okay. So what are we going to have to define there? Who is Josh Clark? Yeah. What is a pudding pop? Mm-hmm. Um, what is stealing? Indeed. A couple of different things that we're going to have to know and be able to measure to see, in fact, whether our hypothesis uh, is proven true.
1: And how are we going to find out if it's proven true?
0: We're going to have to de- devise an experiment.
1: Okay. And this is step four.
0: Step four.
1: Conduct an experiment. This so, is the excitement. So the hypothesis is that Josh Clark may be stealing these the, a pudding pop a day. And yeah. just, to, just to clarify, I'm pretty sure Josh Clark uh, is a fan of frozen yogurt and not pudding pops, but in real life. But for the purposes of the experiment, he is a pudding pop fiend.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So let's conduct our experiment. Let's, okay. let's Let's make it scientific.
1: All right. Well, how do you conduct a scientific experiment? Like, what are the...
0: Well, I mean, a lot of people listening are going to think of something that takes place in a lab. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to invoke Bunsen burners and lab workbenches and test tubes and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. Erlenmeyer flask. Yeah. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, they, I mean- but, but it doesn't necessarily mean like, it doesn't necessarily mean like me and Allison going into the laboratory and like melting down, putting pops and like, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: No, our no. experiment can be pretty simple, and and some really great experiments uh, in science have been extraordinarily simple.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about like
0: not that we would put our experiment on the level of this great
1: right. experiment. but it's all about like keeping it on task and in avoiding bias. So like and I, controlling for and your controlling, variables yeah.
0: as much as you can, um, and then you know if you can't control for some of those variables, then analyzing the data uh, later in a way that can't see maybe you run like linear regression i can't believe i just pulled that out from the stats
1: <laughs> yeah so you, you wouldn't want the like you're not conducting an experiment to prove josh clark is 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 stealing pudding pops you're testing a hypothesis it's it's it may seem like a slight thing but it's it, it really makes a lot of difference you're you're you you're supposed to avoid having any kind of like preconceived uh answer you know i mean you can have you can sort of have one but not like officially you know
0: You can have an informed guess.
1: Yeah. You can have an expected result, but not, you know, you're not setting out to prove that result exactly.
0: Okay. So let's, uh, let's roll our experiment. What are we going to do? We got to get some pops, right? Yeah. Um, so let's say we, we're going to conduct our experiment over the span of, uh, a work week. So Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. We're going to put the pops in, uh, the freezer at the start of, uh, Monday morning.
1: Okay.
0: And we're going to add a hidden camera. Okay. I don't know where to get one of these if we were to conduct such an experiment. Uh, I guess they're yeah. probably pretty easy to get.
1: Uh, they, they probably have them in the video department. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're going to hook up the uh, the hidden camera, and then we're going to monitor the camera and see what happens with the pops. Who's taking them? When? We're going to record the data. We're going to record you eating the pops. We're going to record everything about the pops.
1: Now, we're also going to need a control group, Right.
0: Yeah, I suppose we could we could add the yeah. control group. Yeah,
1: this is like when uh, if you're testing a drug on people on people, like in a clinical trial, mm-hmm. like the test uh, uh, group would receive a placebo mm-hmm. or something. They would they would not receive the
0: uh, proposed therapy. The proposed
1: therapy because you want to see how people respond just normally. Right?
0: Yeah, I do think we need to do a podcast on the placebo effect. By the way,
1: I yeah, really want to do cool. one.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna also place a box of pudding pops in the freezer by the the dev team. Yeah, and that should be interesting because they are a wacky bunch.
1: Yeah, and they're far away. You know, like I'm, for the purposes of, the, of this experiment, Josh Clark never goes there.
0: Yep. So. And also for the purposes of this experiment, the development team does not like pudding. They are all allergic to it.
1: Okay. All right.
0: All right. So they're a good control group.
1: All right. So so yeah, we so we carry out this experiment, right?
0: Yeah. What do we find?
1: Do uh, well, we get some data? Well, that's the thing. We have to move on to step five, which is analyze the data and, and, draw, a and draw a conclusion. Yeah. yeah,
0: sure. Deduce. Do a little yeah. deducing, deduction, deducing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, look, for instance, let's let's say that we look at the data, and it doesn't look like Josh is stealing these. It doesn't. Well, let's like Josh. Let's say that in the. Um, in, in this particular, uh, footage, uh, like Josh is only showing up at, in the, at the freezer, like, like once a week. And we're still having one a day disappear.
0: So it's not Josh.
1: Yeah. So we would have to, at this point, reject the hypothesis.
0: Right? Yes. Yes, we would. And
1: then we would have to go backwards a few steps to the form a hypothesis level. And we'd have to form a new one. Maybe look into that black hole thing or, or. Maybe m-
0: look into the girls from, I don't know, stuff you missed in history class.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Maybe they have a thing for putting bumps.
1: You never know. And, uh, and likewise, if we were to look at the data and find proof that Josh was actually, uh, stealing these, then we would have to accept the hypothesis.
0: It would be validated. Yeah. And And, it would be nice.
1: And then maybe, you know, submit it to to Highlights Magazine for publication. (laughs)
0: Well, yes, of course, you bring up a, a good point. Uh so after we're after we're done analyzing the data and we've drawn conclusions and um gone through all of the uh accepting or rejecting of the hypothesis. I'm not even going to get into the null hypothesis. We'll we're we're keeping
1: it pretty simple for for everybody here.
0: Right, so we're gonna wanna, uh, we're gonna co- wanna communicate the results of our experiment mm-hmm. with our colleagues, with our, our fellow pudding pop scientists out there. We're gonna, you know, wanna see, hey, what did you guys think about how we conducted our experiment? Maybe we'll get, uh, maybe we'll submit it to highlights, so we have, we have to go through peer review. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the, People who is a pudding pop expert will say, Hey, you know what? Actually, I've done this experiment and you forgot to do XYZ. You didn't stick the camera in the right place because, right. yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, yeah, there are a number of problems that can come up and they come up constantly. Like, if you actually look at any, you know, like peer reviewed publication, like it's constantly like, you know, people bringing up problems and just really tearing into studies that they don't agree with or find fault with or disagree with the methods.
0: Yeah, so there are limitations to the science. It can't achieve everything, and clearly, the scientific method is a powerful tool, um, but it too has its limitations. Yeah,
1: for starters, a hypothesis has to be testable and uh, and falsifiable, and the experiments and observations have to be repeatable. Yeah. So, yeah, you you can't do it like have an experiment that can only be done once.
0: You can't do science in a vacuum.
1: Right. Um, You. um,
0: Well, I guess you could do science in a vacuum, but that's you guys know what I meant.
1: Yeah, and it has to be testable. Like it can't be. You know, no, nobody can have, like, a scientific experiment for is there a God because that's just – that's not testable. It's it's not something that is, you know, that's scientifically provable or disprovable.
0: Wow, I can't believe we went from putting pops to God in, like, the span of five minutes. Well, some
1: would say the, the distance is not that far, you know? Yeah? Especially fans of pudding pops, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you have instances where scientific principles are used to try to lend credibility to certain non-scientific ideas.
1: Yeah, like – Let's say, for instance, I were to um, have the bones of some, like, uh, you know, older, you know, hominid that uh, may have, uh, you know, evolved into a human. And I tried to make the case that this is an alien skeleton, you know. And, you know, and I, like, sort of applied some sort of pseudoscientific ideas. You know, people do this all the time where you kind of, like, take – like a one scoop of science and one scoop of crazy, and uh, <laughs> or one scoop of just extreme bias, and you know mix the two, and uh, you know produce this uh, cake that a lot of people think is the real deal.
0: Which is why everybody should be educated in science. Everybody should have the tools to apply their um, their critical thinking skills to a particular uh, scientific problem or, or a scientific paper. Right. We all have them,
1: right? And likewise, I mean, anything in science should be up. I mean, it should be just fair game for for criticism provided, you know, bring the science, the science, science is a tool that continually, you know, changes what we believe about the universe, you know, and, and it's, you know, nothing, nothing is sacred, you know, use the tools of science to question what has come before.
0: No doubt. No doubt. That seems like a pretty good place to end. So, um, we hope you've enjoyed our walk through, uh, the scientific method and our pudding pop experiment. And we hope you buy a big box of pudding pops right after this.
1: Right. And again, the pudding pop, uh, example is is it's pretty simple. It's yeah, you know, very simple. Yeah, we're just we're, we're just, just trying to get the a basic point. structure out there for the scientific method.
0: So let's turn to uh, something different. Yeah, for, uh, a little you, listener mail.
1: Yeah, you have some listener mail there for
0: us. I do. <laughs> okay, so here goes. A while back, maybe you guys will remember that we covered oil in a two-part series
1: mm-hmm. about looking for it, and then. Harvesting it from the earth.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. And we put the call out for um, people who've worked on oil rigs to, to let us know how that was. And sure enough, we got somebody who responded. Thank you, Adam. And Adam sent us a pretty interesting note. Um, so he says, hey, guys, love the podcast. You did a great job summarizing both the addiction and how oil is explored slash produced. I worked in the oil industry for a few years after graduating as an electrical engineer from Ohio State. Go Bucks! That's in the email. Oh, okay. You mentioned one of the things I used to do on the podcast, controlled explosions through the casing to facilitate the flow of oil gas into a newly drilled well. He also used to run a, a variety of tools into the well to help oil companies produce their wells more efficiently, from checking for plaque along the casing that minimizes diameter to see if one zone of production might be producing too much water. So all sorts of really interesting stuff around there. And then Adam goes on to add, the oil rigs are not... Luxurious. They have minimal space used as efficiently as possible. I was on jack-up rigs in the Middle East, uh, the United Arab Emirates and Qatar, so that's my reference point. Maybe it's different in other parts of the world. None of the many rigs I worked on had a gym. If people wanted to exercise, they could walk in circles on the heliport. Oh, my. It's true, there were quote-unquote chefs and quote-unquote doctors, but they didn't exactly have Culinary Institute diplomas or MD certificates hanging on the walls. Platforms, on the other hand, are like a small city, and these amenities are common. Hmm. So if you're a workout fiend and you're interested in working for oil, I guess platforms would be the way to go.
1: I like the idea that the doctors had culinary diplomas, (laughs) but not the (laughs) the chef. That's
0: not (laughs) what he was saying. So Adam adds, "Um, these platforms are there for the long haul, and they're designed to be livable. Also, in most areas of the world, the production is taken over by the National Oil Company. Thus, the platform mainly houses workers from that country or at least that country's oil company's st- staff. During the drilling process, the oil company represent, may represent 1% to 2% of the personnel on the rig at any given time. He sent us a picture of, of him on a rig, and he's uh, he's behind an explosive sign with a white, white hard hat. Oh, Was, wow. Did you see it?
1: No, I didn't. I, I'll have to look it up.
0: So he writes on, I no longer work in the industry, thankfully. As you mentioned, the pay is excellent and the benefits are good, depending on who you work for. The oil service companies typically paid better, but treated employees worse. I took the money I made and did an MBA at a top 10 business school in Spain. Go Adam! And we will actually start my first post-MBA job next week at a wind turbine company in Denmark. Oh,
1: well, that's an interesting end of the story.
0: Well, yeah. So he says, this is the close. Yes, working in the oil industry fueled my passion to get into renewable energy. I think anyone involved in the process can see how unsustainable it is. Hope you found this marginally interesting. We did. We yeah, totally did. Thank you. Really. Thanks a ton for writing, Adam.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, e- even if it is unsustainable, certainly, and you know, a lot of opinions vary about the about the use of oil and the oil industry in general. But as we mentioned in the, the actual podcast, the process involved in finding the oil and then extracting it is just is really fascinating. Because, like we say, if you're when someone's addicted to something, they'll go to extraordinary means to get what they're addicted to, and um, and we go to extraordinary means to get that oil, and it's it's really amazing because there's a, some some cool, just excellent technology involved in it.
0: Yeah, and some excellent minds. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, if you guys have any thoughts that you want to send us, whether they're about oil or the scientific method um, or pudding pops, <laughs> send us an email at sciencestuff at or connect with us. We're on Facebook, uh, Stuff in the Science Lab, or Twitter. We're Lab Stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll constantly update you yeah, on what we're uh, podcasting about, blogging about, and also just like I-, I-, I love to update it with just cool science stuff that I find on the web.
0: Yeah. yeah. So look us up, and thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.